You know, I guess I think I've always been a professional critic, you know, or some sort of professional appreciator or something. This is serious business here, man. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Codd. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim and I present our mixtapes of the decade. We've collected our favorite songs from 2000 to 2009 to bid farewell to the aughts and welcome in the next decade. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. You drop the bomb! You can't bomb on me, baby. You drop the bomb on me. But you turn me up, You drop the bomb on me, baby. That's You Dropped a Bomb on Me from the Gap Band back in the 80s. Uh, Jim, we're closing down the first decade of the 21st century, and uh, that song certainly applies to what's going on in the music industry right now. In the next few years, the Copyright Act of 1976 is going to come down hard on the music industry. As we well know, the music industry is losing a lot of its revenue streams. It depends on the publishing from a lot of its back catalog to uh, maintain revenue. But that 1976 Copyright Act uh, holds that an artist or author who sold their copyright during or after 1978 can terminate that contract after 35 years. Starting in about 2013, a lot of those contracts are going to come up, and a lot of those artists, it looks like, are not going to be re-upping their contracts with the music industry. They're going to be retaining their copyright. So big bands like the Eagles and a lot of these mega bands from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, where a lot of their money is right now for the music industry, are going to be taking some of that money away from the music industry and keeping it for themselves. Yeah, they figure, why shouldn't we sell our greatest hits on our own, why should we let the major label system do it? We wanted to talk to the man who brought this copyright time bomb to our attention with a great piece in Wired magazine. Elliot Van Buskirk is a staff writer there. Elliot, welcome to Sound Opinions. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Let's start by getting you to explain what are you talking about when you say the copyright time bomb? Well, here's the deal. When people sell their copyright to a record label or assign the rights you know, to a distributor so that the label can basically sell their music, there's a something written into the statute that lets that copyright grant, it's called, revert to the artist after a certain amount of time. And what that means is they can file notices at a different time, depending on which year the work was released. Um, They can file notices to basically take the copyrights back. And bands like the Eagles are already deciding to do this. And they're just going to basically ask for their stuff back. The labels have to give it to them and they're just going to start selling it themselves. Um, it's kind of an incredible thing. Thus depriving the labels of, of a revenue stream. Right, right. You know, in some cases, artists might say, look, I like what my label and my publisher are doing for me. I'm going to stick with them. But at the very least, they're going to be able to renegotiate this stuff, and they have a pretty extreme advantage, considering that they could just take all their toys and go home at any time. How many bands are we talking about here, Elliot? 
It's, it's any band who sold their music directly to the label. So if, if, the, if the music has already changed hands a few times um, since the artist sold it, then this doesn't come into play. Um, so that's one restriction. Other than that, it's just a time thing. So let's see. I, I actually wrote this down so I can really get it right here. After 1978, the work can revert to the artist after 35 years. So that means that um, songs from 1978 can go back to the artist in 2013, which used to seem like a long ways away. You know, now it's only a little over three years. Yeah. About. Yeah. So this is really happening, and then 1979 will be 2014, and so on. Now, for anything before 1978, the term is 56 years. So. Already, songs from 1953 can revert, and this can be done by the artist's kids or their estate or whatever as well. This goes on to 2010, 1954, and so on. So all of this is happening, and I spoke with some entertainment lawyers who deal with this kind of thing on both sides of the equation, you know, for the artists and for the labels and publishers. And their stance is that this is definitely happening. I mean, it's, it seems kind of crazy, but it's real. You know, one guy said... It's written into the statute. It's just a matter of time. So a catalog that could be worth millions and millions of dollars, let's say Frank Sinatra, presuming that in, in, in 53, right, he sold the rights to his music directly to Capital or, or Reprise, whatever it was. Now, Frank Jr. and Nancy can, can uh, presuming that they're the executors of his estate, can decide we're going to sell Frank Sinatra music from now on ourselves directly. Absolutely. And there are so many infrastructures in place to do just that now. They can go through a site called TuneCore and put their stuff on iTunes, Amazon, everywhere else for like $50 a year or less. And considering that the labels really do rely on their back catalogs quite a bit, the uh, stars that come up today, not, you know, they seem not to have as much staying power, you know, where people are buying the albums year after year. And so this kind of hits the labels where it hurts because a lot of that classic music from when the industry was really big, people still buy that stuff. Well, so, sure, or, or it's repackaged. I mean, we just saw the umpteenth repackaging of the Beatles this year. Right, and so you bring up an interesting point with the repackaging. There's one possible defense that the labels and publishers would use when they digitally remaster something. Mm-hmm. One lawyer I talked to said, well, you know, the labels might say, okay, you know, you have these mono masters, and uh, we'll just keep these digital remasters over here that you know, we put out like two years ago, and then try to reset the clock at 35 years mm. of that. But this does not seem like it's really going to fly on a mass scale. It might, I don't want to speculate too much here, but that's one thing they're looking at. I heard that it, it probably won't work. It sounds like there's uh, less incentive for artists in general to sign away their publishing anyway. It seems like with the Internet and with the ability to market stuff directly to your fans without a middleman, why would you need a publisher, right? It's true. I guess it depends what an artist wants to do. You know, the, the walls have been broken down for sure in almost every direction for artists. But for a certain type of artist, their goal is to really try to become a star. And, and as difficult as that is now, it still does occasionally happen. Well, yet one more example of this 20th century record business, the rules that were created in the 20th century, no longer really applying to the music business as it's presently constituted with the new technology changing everything. Yeah, it changes constantly, and the law doesn't keep up. The labels did go to Washington in advance of all of this starting to happen. They've tried a couple different times, I think, and to try to get something written into the law so that these 
copyright grants can't revert, and it just hasn't worked. I, I think it's also relevant that this is a law from 1976, and <laughs> that was a very different music industry. Yeah. And 2013 seemed very far away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, people tried. People on the label side tried to do something about this, and they just didn't succeed. And now it's like right around the corner. Indeed, it is. Elliot von Buskirk is a writer for Wired magazine. Thanks, Elliot, for coming on Sound Opinions. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. You're listening to Sound Opinions. is Bye 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 by InSync from their album No Strings Attached. I was really hoping, Greg, never to have to hear that band again. <laughs> Timberlake on his own, I'm fine with, okay? But uh, as it turns out, InSync was the best-selling album of the first decade of the 21st century, the aughts, even though I really consider them a late 90s phenomenon. Mm-hmm. That says something about the way the music industry has changed, the way music has changed, about what we took pleasure from in, in the first decade here. And uh, this being the end of the decade, we're going to look back and consider what this first decade of the new century brought us in terms of musical treasures and uh, significant happenings in the industry, which really was the big story. It was, Jim. Uh, and InSync is actually a great place to start because it symbolizes, I think, the end of the 20th century music business. The music business was in an unrivaled period of prosperity. It was a $15 billion a year industry at the start of this decade. No strings attached to sold 2.4 million copies in a week in March of 2000. <laughs> I mean, that's an unbelievable number. Yeah. I mean, you look at the best-selling albums of last year, for example, and, and most of them didn't even come close to that 2.4 million figure for one week. So here it is. The music industry is making a ton of money at this time, and it looks like everything's just fantastic. You know, we're, we're, we're sailing along. Then along comes Napster. That same year that NSYNC had this incredible success, this little old software that started proliferating on college campuses through broadband connections on computers and dormitories starts facilitating file sharing, music file sharing on college campuses. Metallica gets ticked off. They sue Napster. They basically put Napster out of business. And from that lawsuit, a whole bunch of peer-to-peer file sharing networks started to spring up. We know what happened. The music yeah. industry went in the toilet, basically. From that $15 billion a year industry of 2000, it is now making less than $10 billion a year this year, losing a third of its business. CD sales, in 2000, the music industry sold nearly 1 billion CDs a year, fewer than 500 million in the last year. And then there was a third major event in in 2000. Radiohead released an album called Kid A, an album that leaked on the Internet weeks before it was actually put on sale in retail stores. A lot of kids sharing files of this album. Radiohead getting a little bit upset, thinking, oh, my God, uh, you know, we've been usurped by these file sharers, taking our album away from us and listening to it for free on the Internet. The album nonetheless goes number one 
when it debuts in the fall of 2000, kind of marking a significant shift in the way that fans had become not only a marketing demographic, but had become distributors and marketers and public relations people. Here the fans were out there saying, this is a great album, you have to hear this, and going out and buying it later on. Well, so often overlooked in all discussions of the digital revolution in the music world, or for that matter, in the film world, are the facts that, that A, a lot of people use computer downloading now to sample music. Mm -hmm. The same way you used to stay up all night to listen to FM radio in the 70s to hear them play a whole album, and then you'd go out the next morning and buy it, right? And the other thing is that in those early days of Napster, I remember doing any number of stories for the newspaper and interviewing dozens of kids who were thrilled about Napster. You know what they were downloading? Not stuff that was for sale. Albums that were out of print. Mm -hmm. Albums that were considered too obscure or too cool. You know, German art rock albums or weird electronic music that hadn't been uh, released on CDs or reissued by the major labels. People were using it like they'd use a library. Right. The music industry's response to all that was simply wrong-headed. I think in retrospect, everybody realized what a huge mistake they made by starting to sue consumers in 2003, this five-year campaign to basically stamp out file sharing. Okay, maybe you think your stuff's being stolen, but do you turn around and start suing the people you hope to entice to buy your products? Didn't seem like a very smart strategy to me. When you're talking about a $1.9 million judgment against Jamie Thomas Rassett in, in Minnesota for making 24 songs available on her hard drive, a lot of people were looking at that and saying, it's frankly ridiculous. Then you've got bands like Radiohead who, as I said, were initially wondering and anxious about how this was going to work out, embracing the possibilities of what this presented, making the songs available for free on their website in 2007 with the In Rainbows album, and I think sort of pointing the way toward the future, where bands wanted to communicate more directly with their fans, realizing they don't need these corporations in the middle mucking things up for them and filing lawsuits on their behalf, quote-unquote, and really saying, you know, the fans are our friends. They're our co-conspirators in this. Yeah. Radiohead makes their music available for free for two months on In Rainbows. They come back and realize the fans still want to buy this record. Uh, They end up selling 3.1 million copies of a record that was essentially available for free for two months on the Internet. People may be remarking, Greg, that it's interesting that these two rock critics are talking about all these developments in the business side of music instead of talking about the musical movements of the aughts, the first decade of the new century. Look, history can be looked at in any of a million ways, right? But it is true that since the beginning of this music we call rock and roll, there have been several key movements in every decade in its development. If you go to the 
50s. You have this music coming together from roots in R&B and blues and jazz and Tin Pan Alley pop, right? The birth of rock is the 50s. The 60s witnesses uh, the reinterpretation of those roots, feeding it back to us by the British and the British invasion. And then the psychedelic sizing of it all, right? Mm-hmm. And the day glow colors of the summer of love. The 70s is about the birth of heavy metal and then punk and then disco. In the 80s, we have synth pop and new wave and the birth of hip-hop, okay? In the 90s, hip-hop becomes the dominant musical force in pop music Mm -hmm. around the world. And we have this little thing called the alternative rock explosion. And at the tail end of the decade, the boy bands like NSYNC come up. Teen pop resurgent Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears. So what happened in the aughts, right? I've been scouring my brain for months. There's no big story. There's a million little genres bubbling under, Mm -hmm. a a lot of little developments, uh, sub-sub-sub-genres. You and I like to look at the big picture as critics on public radio, as as critics in the daily newspaper. So what was the big story? It was nothing. It was like everybody was in shock with all <laughs> these incredible developments in the digital revolution. Yeah. But they didn't have any energy to like reinvent music all over again the way punk did or disco or hip hop did. People were just creating and putting out a lot of good music, but there was no big story. Well, outside of American Idol... You know, still playing by the old rules and creating these sort of manufactured stars who became celebrities, who, you know, sold millions of records and uh, TV appearances and major tours. Yeah, by regurgitating Elton John songs. Yeah, it was a formula that's played out. I mean, the, the story of the 2000s in music was about niches and subcultures and smaller communities forming around styles of music, certain artists. But you had no mega bands on the, on the scale of a U2 or the Beatles or a Madonna coming up and just dominating the culture. It was about these little niches. And I think the music was just as great, but certainly not as widely mainstream as it had been in past decades. There are skeptics and naysayers who say that there will never again be giant movements, even like alternative rock or hip-hop, because we all live in these tiny, tiny, tiny niche worlds interconnected now by the web, right? I refuse to believe that. Mm -hmm. I think right now in a basement in Dallas, in an attic on the south side of Chicago, in a garage out east in Boston, people are just picking up a sampler, a synthesizer, or a guitar, and they're ready to turn everything on its ear again. (laughs) That's what I think is going to happen in 2010, 2011. That's what keeps us going, frankly. But meanwhile, we're going to look back on our favorite songs. At at the end of the year, we like to do these mixtapes. Well, I should say you like to do these (laughs) mixtapes. You are the king of the mixtape. Greg, I got to see it. You you live for this. I think you spend hours and hours and weeks. But uh, I gamely play along. We're each going to present our best of the decade mixtape when we come back on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Should be, and I wonder if it's true to me. 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Greg Cotter of the Chicago Tribune. My partner is Jim DeRigatis of the Chicago Sun-Times. Each year we try to cap the year off with a personal mixtape of our favorite music of that particular year. But this being the end of the decade, we decided to do something a little different. We're going to look back at the last 10 years of music and create a thematic mixtape out of that. Uh, you know, ostensibly the theme was the best songs of the decade, but I think each of us uh, put a personal spin on this. So maybe some not-so-obvious songs being selected here, but certainly songs that meant a lot to us. And, you know, here we are talking about the 21st century, but this is very much a 20th century <laughs> custom. It goes it's back true. to getting a cassette from, you know, your, uh, your friend in high school when you were 15 and being turned on to some new music because it was so lovingly put together, a, a personal yeah. take on uh, music that you love. And it's a tradition that, frankly, I love to extend. Uh, you each do. year I you put do. this together for my friends where I give them a, a mix CD of some of my favorite music of that year arranged thematically. And uh, this year it's going to be the end of the decade mixtape. Well, see, you have the attention span for this. I know you <laughs> spend weeks, uh, hours a day on this. You know, I'm very much about of the moment. You know, now I, I'm, I can be a good DJ. I've DJed yeah. at parties, but it's like, this is what I'm feeling right now. Yeah. This is what I'm going to play, right? As far as, like, setting it down as an official mix, that's where I come off the rails. You know, I mean, there's <laughs> just so many great songs. Yeah. I compiled my top ten or went back and, and relisted the top ten albums I had of every year of the first decade, 2000, 2001. And I maintain I'm, I'm sticking by all my choices, right? Mm-hmm. I love those records still. And I dived in. I hold them all out and started playing them all again. And I just couldn't come up with any grand thematic concept. So I just went straight down. I, I, I went for the number one album of each year and the number two album of each year and put on my mixtape the songs I felt like hearing from those albums right now. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, Nothing it, wrong with that. Well, it was cheap and sloppy, <laughs> but I, I wound up with some surprising juxtapositions nonetheless. And of course, a lot of music I love. So I'm just going to go to uh, numbers five through eight. Why? Because our producer Jason Saldana said, I like five through eight. Play five. <laughs> you know, that, and really, that's the only reason. My album of the year in 2002 was the Flaming Lips' Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots. The number two album of that year was Sea Change by Beck. Those bands wound up touring together. Mm-hmm. The Lips backing Beck as he played some of that music. That's a nice little connection there. And then, you know, the album of 2003, Hands Down, Outcast, that double album, yeah. Speaker Box, The Love Below. I had a surprising number two. Now, you had been all over Granddaddy earlier with the software slump in 1999. Yeah. I think, and I maintain to this day, that Someday in 2003 was a better album. So uh, there's the first four songs I'm going to give you. Flaming Lips, Do You Realize, Beck's The Golden Age, Hey Ya by Outkast. I mean, that's contender for one of the songs it's a of the great decade. Song. I'm sorry. And uh, Granddaddy's Yeah is What We Had on Sound Opinions. We're floating in space 
This is Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis, and you're listening to part of my mixtape, Best of the Decade. One, two, three, uh. So why yo, why yo, why yo, why yo, why yo Are we so in denial when we know we're not happy 
I love that, Mr. Cott. That is granddaddy with Yeah Is What We Had from Someday 2000. You remember 2003? I'm so nostalgic now after hearing your mix. Back to 2002? No, you're not. This is how nostalgic (laughs) you are. Before you said to me, Yo, Shimmy Battles of Pink Robots, that wasn't out in the 2000s. (laughs) Yes, it was 2002. You're lucky you can remember last week. I can barely remember last night. What are you talking about? (laughs) So before Granddaddy, on uh, my midsection of the best of the decade there, we heard Outcast with Hey Ya, Beck with the Golden Age, and the Flaming Lips with Do You Realize, a song that retains its magic despite the lips having Mm. sold it to innumerable (laughs) television commercials. There's a trend of the aughts, which I uh, think ought to be put out to pasture. To hear our complete mixes or to share your favorite songs of the decade, go to soundopinions.org. And to make a comment on the air about anything in the rock world, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with Greg's side of the mixtape. I am an American aquarium drinker I assassin down the avenue I'm hiding Outside strangers This is not a joke So please stop smiling Who was I thinking When I said it didn't hurt
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and uh, we are running down our mixtapes, uh, end-of-the-decade mixtapes. And, man, I just want to hear that song again, The Strokes, The Modern Age. Do you remember where you were when this song came out, when you first heard about this band? That was we the were first just playing song it again. on their first EP. We're just playing it again. Everybody, the uh, whole Sound <laughs> Opinions team is going with that Fabrizio Moretti drum beat. It's, it's uh, unbeatable. Let's play it again. And the theme of my mixtape is not only the music of the decade, but it's built around this whole idea of, yes, this is the modern age, and how did you first hear this music? You know, inevitably, you didn't hear it on an album or through a uh, live appearance. It was through that little old thing called the Internet. Some some kid leaking you an MP3 file and saying, you got to hear this. The new decade equivalent of, of that kid handing you a mixtape and saying, you got to hear this. Or a 45. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, uh, you know, MP3 files, mashups, mixtapes, that was the story of, of this decade, you know, the, the blogosphere coming into, into play and, and revealing these great new bands for us. Uh, a story, I might add, because you're too modest to do so yourself, that you tell very, very well in your book that was published earlier this year. Oh, thank you very much, Mr. DeRogatis. I appreciate that. I think we are living in an incredibly exciting time for music. Uh, these transitional periods, we only live through these maybe once in a lifetime if you're, if you're fortunate. We are in one of those periods where everything is changing. The way the music was distributed, made, and consumed is completely changing. In the next 10 years, it'll be changing even more. In the interim, a lot of exciting music was made. Any decade that can produce a band as good as The Strokes or some of the bands that I'm going to play on my mixtape, I think it's got nothing to apologize for. No. The music is still out there. The music there just wasn't great. that one big story. So the two songs that I'm coming up with uh, next, Jim, as part of my mixtape, illustrate this theme. Bands that were very much products of the new decade, bands that were exposed first through file sharing on the Internet, bands that, uh, that created a huge buzz for their d- debut albums through illicit means, through that black market of the Internet. LCD Sound System with a great song, Tribulations. It's one of the songs that actually became part of our intro music on the show. We loved it so much. And Art Brood, a band that I think the entire Sound Opinions team fell in love with the first time we saw them <laughs> yeah. at uh, South by Southwest uh, Music Conference in Austin, Texas a few years ago with the song that sort of made their reputation. So here's the first part of my mixtape, LCD Sound System with Tribulations and Art Brood with Formed a Band on Sound Opinions.
of just talking to the kids. <laughs> God, I love that band. You gotta love Eddie. Oh Argos. my God, Art Brute formed a band and LCD Sound System Tribulations before that. Theme music for Sound Opinions. They defining bands for this show in a lot of ways, uh, and discovered through the internet. And the next part of my mixtape illustrates another aspect of that internet culture, the the whole idea of hip-hop becoming an underground art form, again, through the art of the mixtape. Bands like Clips and Kanye West and Lil Wayne and Rhymefest releasing great music through black market channels, not putting out legitimate releases, but just circulating mixtapes on the internet that created a buzz around these artists before they released their biggest albums. Hard to believe. Crazy by Gnarls Barkley making a lot of decade-end lists as the top song of the decade. But once upon a time, this too started out, this little internet buzz around this song. I remember somebody sending me a file of Crazy by this new group, Gnarls Barkley, with CeeLo Green on vocals and DJ Danger Mouse doing the production and arranging and saying, you've got to hear this. This is an amazing song. And it, it was one of those moments where you just knew the, the, the buzz around that song uh, was so great that when it finally did come out legitimately, the market was ready. It shot up to number one. It became one of those great moments when the commercial impact of the song matched its artistic value. Yeah, kind of like the smells like teen spirit yeah. of uh, of the, the aughts. And you could be it could be argued that 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 song had that same kind of impact on, on this decade, Jim. The second song that I'm going to play in my mix is uh, DJ Danger Mouse's great mashup of the Beatles' White Album and Jay-Z's The Black Album that he called The Gray Album. It never came out as a physical product. It was uh, suppressed. EMI, the Beatles record company, threatened to sue Brian Burton, a.k.a. DJ Danger Mouse, uh, because he was using copyrighted material by the Beatles to make this great mashup. I would argue that 20th century copyright law, as it applies to this particular song, is way off base. If if you think in any way this is some kind of ripoff, this is a new art form, and I think DJ Danger Mouse illustrates the absolute peak of its value uh, with this particular mashup. So here's a couple of moments on my mixtape. Gnarls Barkley with Crazy and DJ Danger Mouse with December 4th on Sound Opinions. I remember when I remember when I lost my mind There was something so pleasant about that place Even your emotions have an echo in so much space And when you're out there without care Yeah, I was out of touch But it wasn't because I didn't know enough 
This is Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott, and you're listening to my mixtape of the decade. kitchen beating on the table and rapping and um at the wee hours of the morning and then I brought him a boom box and his sisters and brothers said that he would drive them nuts but that was my way to keep him close to me and out of trouble Goodbye to the game, all the sports, the adrenaline rush. Your blood boils, you in a spot, knowing cops can rush. And you in a drop, you so easy to touch. No two things are alike, except the first and 15, pretty much. And trust, it's a word you seldom hear from us. That's just a little taste of my mixtape with uh, Gnarls Barkley, Crazy, and DJ Danger Mouse with December 4th. Uh, the entire thing is available at soundopinions.org streaming, as well as yours, Mr. Gearguys. They're both up there, Greg, and it's a good opportunity for us to give something to our listeners and say Happy New Year. What do we have on the show next week? Next week, one of the most exciting artists of uh, 2010, Jim, Kid Sister, a.k.a. Melissa Young, is going to be in the studio for an interview and a live performance. I'm looking forward to that one for sure. Meanwhile, we have some thank yous as always to say, Greg, Sound Opinions was produced by our own personal marvelous mixologists, Robin Lynn and Jason Saldana, and our executive producer, our fearless leader, Tori Southside Malatia. He is still pining over the fact that InSync broke up. I just don't understand. It's been a decade. Get over it. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. Now it's time to hear what you have to say. I'm in the phone with this one across the hall. If you don't answer, I'll just ring it off the wall. I know she's there, but I just had a call. Don't leave me hanging on the telephone. Don't leave me hanging on the telephone. New messages. Hey fellas, this is Pat from Olympia, Washington, and I wanted to put in my plug for the best two albums of the year. I'm going to put it in for the best two kids' albums of the year, because I've got young kids and I have to listen to what they listen to because they can't stand what I listen to. The first one is called Yo Gabba Gabba, Music is Awesome. The show features uh, lots of guest musicians, and so does the album. One of the things I love the most about it is Biz Marquee does Biz's Beat of the Day, and he has made... My kid's first instrument, beatboxing. Okay, here's Biz Beat of the Day. Okay, kids, one more time. The 
second album is by They Might Be Giants, and it's Here's Come Science. And it's not just that I love that my two-and-a-half-year-old moshes to a song called I Am a Paleontologist. It's that the album opens with a song called Science is Real. And it's just a super positive reaffirmation of the, the importance and authority of science after eight years of the government trying to silence scientists whose opinion it didn't like. It's such... A breath of fresh air. Science is real from the Big Bang to DNA. Science is real from evolution to the Milky Way. I like the story. Anyway, those are my two favorite kids' albums of the year. Thanks a lot. The factor is science. The factor is science. Hello, this is Brian Phillips. I'm calling from McDonough, Georgia. I thoroughly enjoyed your Christmas show. However, I did hear one of the last ones you played at the world premiere segment by Cordell Jackson, and you said this is a guy that was listing all of his Christmas favorites. I have actually met Cordell Jackson, and I can tell you unequivocally that Cordell Jackson was a woman, but she was also in the Rockabilly Hall of Fame, and she was even in the commercial with Brian Setzer, and uh, there she was, so most likely that was her playing guitar on that record. So Cordell Jackson was a great, great woman, not a man, as uh, was listed on the show, but I certainly did enjoy it. Thanks so much. Uh, Jimmy Gregg. Mike in Louisville. I uh, am unemployed, so my Desert Island pick is uh, going to be the entire Harry Nilsson catalog. My last name is Nilsson, spelled exactly the same way, but uh, I've been wanting to delve into the discography of Harry Nilsson for many years now, so I'm going to run away from my family without finding a job. I'm going to get on a boat and or plane, find the nearest desert island, hopefully not in the Ohio River, and uh, hunker down with the entire Harry Nilsson discography. Awesome show, the Desert Island Show. Really, really great picks by your guests and a great idea to have them do that and uh, really improved my whole Christmas slash New Year's season. So I hope you guys have a great 2010. I'll report back to you one year from now to let you know uh, what I've learned about Harry Nilsson. No more messages. To give us your opinion on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.